0: This week on the Recruitment Flex, women are opting for the gig economy. Is measuring retention dumb? Are you going back to the office, missing your dog? We'll talk about a company that approached it in a very interesting way and is the era of HR dead. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And again, joined by my lovely co-host, Shelly. Shelly, what's going on?
1: There's so much going on. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about this week. Aren't you?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I was really reading the fun. articles. I'm like, yeah. oh, Shelly is going to lose her <laughs> shit at this. So.
1: Yeah, I am excited about this week. So um, good eye, Serge. If you're trying to get me whipped up, you've done a good job. Well, that's usually my purpose.
0: I love a whipped up Shelly because there's a ton of stuff that comes out. It's very entertaining overall.
1: Gee, thanks.
0: <laughs> so what's new in your world, Shelly?
1: Let me see. I've been consulting with you extensively here on my housing dilemma for heating and hot water my furnace is being removed this afternoon and replaced and my hot water tank is already out so I'm without hot water or heat here for the next probably 24 hours so good thing it's not going to drop to minus 30 or something but it's still pretty cold right now though um yeah like it's minus 12 celsius so it's not
0: super cold like our audience is listening across the world and they think minus 12 celsius is is pretty damn cold
1: yeah, if you don't have a jacket on, Are you <laughs> you're not gonna, dressed is, for the weather.
0: Do you have long johns?
1: No, but I am sitting here with an electric blanket on my lap. <laughs>
0: You always are. It's always cold. So it's probably good for you yeah, to change good... your uh, furnace. Yeah, I was going through what we spent on our furnace. So I'm glad I was able to give you that praise. Yeah, thank you. For you, I wouldn't be surprised if you bought like a gold plated furnace, uh, <laughs> your spending habits. And, well, uh,
1: I do believe in buying fit for purpose and good quality and things that I don't have to worry about. And I'm doing it before the furnace fails. Like the furnace yeah. I have in this place is 42 years old. So you either wait for it to fail, or this is the Shelley mode. And that is, I'm going to control the schedule on this. I'm going to take you out before you take me out. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's probably smart. Cause I usually wait till it completely goes out. And that usually happens when it's like minus 30 Celsius. Mm-hmm. Uh.
1: The most inconvenient time is when your hot water tank is going to fail. And so I can't live that way. Like Waiting for disaster when you know it's going to happen. Nothing's built to last forever, but
0: not, not especially now. So I have it a story for you. Uh, okay. Last night, we are getting dinner ready for the girls, and suddenly my dog, I have an older French bulldog, but is probably the most quiet mm. French bulldog you'll ever meet. He's really very quiet. Yeah. He, he's extremely chill, but he was losing his shit last night at the back door, like sliding glass uh, yeah. door. And we go look, and there's a bobcat. So, and a pretty big bobcat, right? Come on! The girls are so excited by it. They run, and obviously the bobcat disappears, but... That really made me nervous because the girls are always playing in the backyard by themselves. Like, obviously, we keep an eye, but we get them dressed up. They go play. Yeah. I don't think a bobcat would be as brazen with humans to to go around, but we live really close to yeah, a do, provincial really. park. There's a lot of wildlife that we see all the time, but we've never had a bobcat come right on our deck to the door. That is unusual, really unusual, because they're super shy. They are. Well, it's funny because one of the twins said to me, she's, he's hungry. He wants dinner. And uh, my other daughter said, like, well, I think he thought that Louis, who's our French <laughs> bulldog, was dinner.
1: Uh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, that is adorable. Oh, my God. I don't know
0: how well a French Smart. bulldog would do against uh, a bobcat. Like, he's a pretty solid dog. The bobcat was way bigger. I'd be scared that he would get scratch or, or whatever. So, Yeah all safe but on that note talking about getting scratch and going back and dogs and dogs yeah. yes
1: oh boy this is <laughs> i couldn't believe this uh,
0: a lot of people are returning back to the office here in yeah. Canada a lot of the covid restrictions are being lifted so that means that hey a lot of CEOs are like let's bring everyone back there was a story that i saw in my twitter feed and i thought it was hilarious because oxford who's a property management company so it's not a particular company that did this but to welcome their tenants, hun- in their their building. tenants yeah. back in the building they had these signs like saying are you missing home yet are you missing your sweatpants and yeah. we that sure funny. Yeah, funny but there's one like are you missing your dog and it's this picture of oh, a really sad oh. dog and if i was coming into the office and i would saw that i'd be like Fuck this. I'm going back home to my dog. It's like they were making fun of people coming back into the office. They were highlighting everything that we're going to miss. I was glad to see that it wasn't the physical company. That's how they were welcoming their employees back. It was more. The property manager. The property manager. But
1: still, who was the creative that came up with this? Did they even think for one second? And it was the cutest, a Labrador retriever with his chin on your desk and and your laptop there and he's got these soulful sad little eyes and I'm just like oh my god if you didn't feel guilty about going back to work and leaving your dog I don't know what would oh it was brutal
0: it's going to be fascinating to see what's going to happen in the next month because a lot of people being forced back into the office I'm sure some people are gonna be excited. If you think about extroverted people, it's gonna be good to have that energy They draw it from different people. But I still think those people are gonna be like, it was nice not having to commute an hour each way.
1: Especially in Toronto,
0: lunches. Like you mentioned not too long ago, and I I kind of didn't agree with it that the great resonation, I said the great resonation is going to come to an end in the middle of this year. And you said, you don't think so. You think it's starting again, but with everyone coming back in the office, I do think a lot of people are going to be like, fuck this. This is Yeah, give it six weeks.
1: Give it six weeks. Because when you're faced with the choice of coming home and your dog is clearly upset that you have been gone all day and you're clearly upset because your guilt alone of uh, leaving your dog, Jesus. Shelly, I couldn't do it. You wait six weeks and we'll see a spike on the job boards of people checking out who's hiring. Remotely. Yeah.
0: Or, or working even from home.
1: Kind of remote. Yeah. You know, coming in when we've got kickoff meetings or coming in when we've got project charter updates, that sort of thing. But by and large, ugh, I don't know. So now speaking of going back to work, this week was International Women's Day. And there was an Indeed survey specifically about women and the gig economy, because something I know we've talked about a lot is where did everybody go? What this survey really proved out was that the heaviest burden of childcare will always rest on the shoulder of the mom. It really is the truth. And so being able to return to work and access to childcare is a big problem. I can think of women in my network who have little ones, say preschool age before school care and that sort of thing, and not even three days back into daycare or preschool and they're back out again because somebody's sick. I mean, it's so disruptive. This article really proved out that women have found the gig economy. In some cases, they're making even more money. And they have the flexibility to work when they can, because what we still have not figured out is a safe childcare alternative. And the other percentage would be people like me who've got old people that I look after. So I can't be at risk of being sick because who's going to look after my old people? Hmm. They depend on me. And yes, I can do grocery delivery and stuff, but that is the reality. What percentage? Of women who, whatever they were doing before, they did not return. And I think the percentages were like more than 50% did not return to what they were doing previously. And they have no intention of it. And according to this survey, if you ask them, the vast majority of them see themselves continuing. They said likely or very likely that they will continue to do gig work. Was there anything in this that kind of caught your eye search?
0: Well, we, you know, I kind of justified what we've been talking about because I, I do mm-hmm. feel strongly I out. that the gig economy has, has has changed the world of work. A lot of people have realized they can do work in different ways, and obviously, they value flexibility more than stability. And I think women more. That primarily. Was Yeah. To to your point, and it's unfortunate, but women are the primary caregivers, not only to the children but also to elderly and. That's not right, but that's what's happening. What I saw in here that I was looking for hard data. Since 2020, 1.1 million women in the US who left the labor force have yet to return. And I'm not sure if they are going to return. And we're seeing in all the job board numbers, the gig economy, those types of jobs are way more attractive. And there's a lot more options, too. Like when you think initially of gig economy, you just think of Uber or uh, here in Canada, skip the dishes. But there is tons of options that Mm -hmm. you can either do it as a kind of a full-time gig when you can.
1: Or as a side hustle, right? Or even the virtual assistant, I think is the perfect example as well. Who cares if you're doing it from six o'clock to nine o'clock or from seven until 10 when the kids have gone to bed, whether that's a side hustle or something that you've just completely replaced it. But I think that traditional nine to five, five days a week, full time, it's just not doable to have all those responsibilities. And and some of the women that they uh, cited in this study said, like, it's still not returned to pre-pandemic as far as demands on their time and their ability to even find work that can accommodate or be flexible enough for them to go back to work. The most surprising of this was that 83% of working women said flexibility over stability. Yeah, Wow. That blew my mind.
0: One of the things that blew my mind too, and I did not expect it is 54% of women said their overall income increase yeah. when they switched to gig work.
1: Uh-huh. Isn't that fascinating? Absolutely. Well, consider where they might've been working. Take, for example, if you were a hairstylist, the pandemic definitely impacted that type of role. In order to go back, serving the public and how much you would make, versus maybe even doing a call center work from home job. Because the other big part of this is almost 70% of those surveyed said that they actually learned a new skill doing shared gig work, contract work, or what have you. That was the other thing that people took inventory of their lives and what's important to them and decided now's a great time to reskill and do something else and transfer those skills.
0: The economy is shifting too as well. Mm -hmm. So I agree, reskilling and learning new skills and the ability to do whatever they they need to do to get the income. But this is an American survey, right? So one of the things in Canada, which is completely different is we have healthcare or a great majority of your healthcare is covered as a single payer platform Mm -hmm. compared Mm -hmm. to a lot of Americans rely on healthcare coming from... The employers. Uh, their employer. So yeah, I yeah. wonder what the numbers are in Canada. And I wonder what the numbers in the U.S. would look like if healthcare was uh, a public service. Because a lot of people are sticking to their jobs because they need to get healthcare. But we're discounting, I'm sure, a lot of young people, especially women, that uh, they don't have any healthcare. They're doing gig work.
1: You're right. I think most younger workers don't yet see the value even in canada of course if you're deducting the additional health care premiums off your employees they're just like give me the money yeah i dental just give me the money i don't care i won't get my teeth done till i'm 30 <laughs> then you're old <laughs>
0: Then you're old, then you need Uh, it when when you start having a family. When you're
1: 30.
0: Yes. What is the future of this? What is the future of women in the gig economy? Do you think it's going to grow? Because one of the stats that was highlighted here, it it shows the growing trend, right? In 2017, 33% of the workforce in the gig economy were women. And now in 2022, it's 46%. So we're seeing it increase Mm -hmm. and increase. Do you think that's going to continue going up?
1: Yes. Because I think the other part is the ability to balance what's expected of you. Certainly as a society, I don't think we've figured out how we can address childcare. So going back to the way things were, it's just not going to work. We, we can't go back to the, you know, you're expected in from nine to five. No, nope. we, we will adapt. I believe that. I believe corporations will adapt because they'll have to.
0: They will. They'll lose a big part of their workforce. And uh, that's great for companies in the gig economy, but it's going to be a challenge and we're seeing it already. Uh, On that note, we're talking about retention. I think I have the perfect Mm -hmm. segue. So (laughs) we always talk about how you can't out-recruit yourself out of bad retention. Yeah. And there is an argument to be said that is retention a dumb metric for HR to be measuring? And follow me here. Okay. Okay. So when people leave, it's a big cause for concern. If you look at the macro of it, 30, 40% of your workforce leaving, that causes major concern of how great is our, our engagement of our employees? Why are they leaving? Is it a toxic culture? But the flip side to it is, a lot of people stick at their jobs because it's easy, right? It's easy, they, they have mm-hmm. a level of comfort, they're not good performers, they're not really engaged, and they just stay forever for 15, 20 years. In reality, do we want more people to leave? Because we, we know there's so many bad managers that are not performing, they're just letting it slide by, and they're actively going against the company's strategy the argument here is, is all turnover bad? What's your take on it?
1: So I think you hit the nail on the head because it's about who's leaving, right? If you have a top performer leaving your organization and you're like, "Eh, oh, well, uh, versus low performers, I think that's what makes it something to stand up and take notice. Because if you've got someone who was maybe previously highly engaged, High performer, you know, in the world of corporate, anybody who's ever given that top performer rating on their performance review, it's almost like the kiss of death, because those are the people who are going to leave. Because they don't see anywhere else to go. If you're telling them they're already at the top. And then the other side of turnover, it's those that do 51% of their job because you can get fired for 49%, but I'll work to kind of 51% of my expectations. And that is what I think companies should be taking a look at because they're not bad enough to fire them, but they're really not worth keeping. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a stupid thing to report on because it doesn't tell the whole story.
0: No. What do you think about this metric? Uh, Regrettable turnover. There's multiple ways you can measure it. Obviously, one of the ways is their performance reviews, which I'm like, that's a scary one to measure because like anything that can be subjective in that way, it can just be a bad manager. And that person is actually a really good employee and they're getting a bad review or whatever the case and that employee leaves, like, is that really regrettable turnover? But I do think you need to put some type of system in place that categorizes the difference, right? How many companies have you worked in Shelley or worked as a consultant or whatever the case is that you're going in and you're like, shit, this culture is really toxic. But then you look around the people that work there and they've been there forever and no one ever leaves right? I rather have high turnover than having people stay forever because it's comfortable. They're not leaving like the company's cancer, like it's complete cancer.
1: Mm-hmm. And it'll never change. No. It, yeah. It, it'll never change. There's an old saying that the top 20% of your company are doing 80% of the work. Yeah and that's why top performers leave is because they get to a point where it's like the guy sitting beside me is maybe earning the same as me or maybe you know a little bit less but i'm doing 80% of the work. So that's the sort of thing to pay attention to. I agree. It's more as you put it the regrettable resignations where they've left on their own accord. And it's kind of a shame. To lose that much institutional knowledge, history of the company, I don't think there is a really good that I've ever seen or heard of performance evaluation process. They're all flawed. They're all rounded up to the next whatever, and it doesn't take into account that you've got uh, people managing others that have no business doing that.
0: Yeah, there's a ton of bad managers. So it's really tough to categorize who actually the top performers. But the argument usually would be that top performers are so engaged in their job that they wouldn't leave. But the counter argument to that is, they're continually networking, they're out there. Recruiters are reaching out to them. They're having those discussions. So maybe their slacker co-workers are, are not doing that. They're not network. They're spending their time on Facebook or Twitter at work instead of spending time yeah. on their job or actively networking it and being out there. So recruiters are very attracted by them. Here is how I'll conclude this. Turnover is still very important, but I do think we need to start classifying the difference between... Good turnover and bad turnover. If you have a toxic culture and no one's leaving, that's not a good thing. It's actually worse than having high turnover in some case. But if 70% of your company is turning over every year, yeah, you're... you're there's a problem. There's a <laughs> yeah, major it, it problem. It's
1: an indication that you need to dig deeper for sure. So what we were talking about here at the top of the podcast is what I'm dying to dig into, Search. Yeah, you can is- jump in. Jump in. <laughs> Okay. You noticed an article and you tossed it in front of me. And I think you were just trying to see my hair go on fire. It was a Forbes article that was titled, The Era of HR is Coming to an End by Vasily Voropov, who's a Forbes Councils member. I have no idea what the hell that means, but I'm dying to poke some holes into what this guy is talking about. Um, So, in his article under why the era of recruitment is ending, is he goes on to talk about recruitment automation software from HireVue. HireVue is online videos of job seekers answering interview questions. And then they convert the text into an algorithm, analyzes it for keywords. So Serge, what do you think of that idea? So you don't get interviewed. No, this is a one-way interview. You're answering questions and higher views, artificial intelligence is going to take what you said, convert it to text, and the algorithm is going to analyze it to decide whether or not you proceed in the process. Tell me how that feels to you. Well,
0: I think the whole thing seems a little bit scary, but I, I do have an open mind, right? I just and not trusting the tech. In this particular case, there's still so many issues that can come across. And we all know the challenges that HireVue has had. There's a class action lawsuit right now. They've been sued multiple times. So there's there's massive gaps. We've had this argument quite a few times as far as the value of one-way video interviewing. And I've been on the side that I think there can be a really good end to it. And I think you've been on the side that absolutely not in any situation it's garbage which I'm starting to lean towards more your side of it what? But
1: no 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 no! oh no. my god everybody let's write down this date but <laughs> for the first time in two here, years you're gonna agree with me no oh I didn't god. say it. no 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 there's a big difference oh, oh, sorry
0: to go no, that okay. way you're
1: not agreeing with me I'm
0: not yet not yet. <laughs> I, I'm going that way. And I am willing to admit when I'm wrong in some ways, but mm-hmm. in this case where it's a hundred percent judge by AI and biometric data, it, it just so, seems. Yeah. Crazy. So I, I
1: just wanted to clarify because you're right. There is a class action lawsuit that was just launched against higher view. Now higher view unplugged the facial geometry recognition, artificial intelligence stuff, they unplugged that part of their product in February 2021. This is using what you said to answer interview questions and using artificial intelligence to analyze it, which I can absolutely prove that the models and the AI used to analyze natural language in whether it's resumes or transcribed from interviews, there is proven Bias against women, people with disabilities, African-Americans, dialect and regional variations. All of it has absolutely been proven to be, to be biased. I'm really poking more at the guy that wrote this article. Like, he does not know what he's talking about. And I just... Can't even believe that he would be allowed to be published on Forbes.
0: His vested interest for everyone to know is he owns a contractor company, a staffing firm that provides contractors. Of course, he is 100% (laughs) biased because that's his whole business. Another uh, issue that he's called out why recruiters are going to be phased out is outstaffing. What he's saying is in the United States, uh, staffing industry sales now amount to $160 billion. So he makes the argument that recruiters are not really needed. Get a staffing firm, then get like a developer to verify the qualifications of the candidate and then just hire them. Like, Why do you need HR? Why do you need anyone involved? Which the concept of it is ridiculous because... Think about the cost. If you were running your whole staffing for a large organization Mm -hmm. was all staffing, your bill is going to be, it's not sustainable. There's no way that can do a better job because you're outsourcing your whole brand to a company that I wouldn't trust. Sorry, staffing firms listening. So he's making this argument basically to drive business to him saying, recruiters are gonna be useless in the near future. You should just look at outsourcing all of these aspects. But we all know a well-executed internal recruitment team will do a better job than any external staffing team in mind.
1: You're right. So in this article, he waves his own flag and puffs his chest out saying that he's been in the field for five years.
0: Oh, five years. Oh, Mm -hmm. I I missed Five years
1: and 15,000 employees with no HR managers or recruiters. All he's done, he posts his vacancies on his own company platform. His technical people, rather than them doing the work that they were hired to do, he has them conducting the interviews. So how is that any different? All you've done is you've taken the work of a recruiter Now you're utilizing the time of his techies and the customer to do the interviews. That's what he's saying. It's so absurd. Like, honestly, I was so tempted to respond to him on LinkedIn, but I thought doesn't even deserve my attention. I think that's maybe why he wrote it was to try and poke the bear. (laughs) Well, see if you can get any response from recruiters, because taking the work of HR and recruitment and putting it on the shoulders of your techies who should be billing themselves out for being developers or technical people or IT people, they're not doing their core job. All you've done is spread it around to them.
0: And they're just measuring technical skills, right? We know to be successful as a company, there's a whole lot more than technical skills that are needed for an employee to do well in an organization. There's tons of soft skills that you need to assess. But he's <laughs> saying, like, have the the techies check out their skills. If they're good, just hire them type of thing. And. I don't know. There's a lot of flaw to it, but I, I want to go to the start of the article and where the argument starts because he made a couple of points that I didn't disagree with. Like HR departments are, are fairly new because in the past you, you had someone in personnel. They didn't even call it HR. And we're talking, this is like in the 80s. You put an ad on a newspaper, you get tons of applicants and you pick the best one and you'd hire them and it was done. You didn't need recruiters you didn't need anything but the argument he's saying here is we could just go back to that but the world has changed dramatically the impact of hiring and the whole process maybe we have overcomplicated and added too many things in the hiring process that maybe don't need to be there there's a valid point there. But to completely barebone it, completely remove everything. Yeah, he's he's out of luck. There's no way that can happen. Imagine letting all your hiring managers do the recruiting, right? They're not going to do their job. It's going to be a full-time job. They're going to be horrible at it. They're going to hire really bad people. It's going to cause massive issues. It's just going to be a vicious circle. Or the other option is just go to staffing for everything and I, I think there's value in staffing. <laughs> there is value. You have I to think be really come, intentional.
1: You've just come full circle, search. honestly. Because the fact of the matter is, he's saying the reason HR is replaceable is because you should just go to a staffing firm and outsource it. It's very, very self-serving. I don't think this guy deserves even one more brain cell from me because it's just so absurd. He's trying to build some case for why in five years somehow he's got fifteen thousand employees. Like whatever. I don't believe let let me end
0: this with how he ended this article. Ordinary recruiters who hunt people, message them on LinkedIn and negotiate a convenient time to call are already gradually disappearing. We know that's a lie because it's actually going the opposite way. The amount of recruiters being hired is at the highest level that's ever in been.
1: The history of the human race.
0: The history of the human race, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Then he goes on to say, I believe they will be next in line after cashiers and truck drivers. So if you want to dedicate your life to this field, think about it carefully.
1: Okay. Vasily. Shut the fuck no, up. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's such a backhanded insult. I just can't even stand it. Serge, I... Let's find something happy to talk about.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So the one happy thing is I'm starting to rethink my whole view on one-way video interviews, right? Because what I'm seeing is a lot of companies are not using it correctly, using it in the wrong context, and thinking it's going to replace what they're doing a recruitment and the issue is not the interviews is the issue is everything else right like all the things that we've talked about so many times that we need to fix before we go online but before we go there's one thing that i thought was really interesting and i'm going to put the link On our show notes, so Greenhouse, one of our favorite ATS, has this hiring maturity checklist. It's an actual survey that you go through to see where you stand in your hiring process and Mm -hmm. what is the maturity of your organization when it comes to hiring. Like It's calling out, where are you fucking up? And are you as good as you think you are? And if you're honest in doing this survey, it will give you a good score of where you're at. So the reason I'm calling this out is a lot of recruiters are having challenges sharing to their managers or the executives that we have a fucked up employment brand, our application process is garbage, and we don't have mature recruiting or hiring practices. This will give you a real scorecard of where you sit. If you're working corporate recruitment, I think there's tons of value in doing this actual assessment.
1: Oh, so true. So true. I'm glad you put that in there because we know as recruitment how broken everything is because you can have a great employer brand, but what does it all matter if your application process sucks? And I can't begin to tell you how many times every single client I'm talking to before I meet with them. I try and apply to their job. And they're absolutely speechless. Because yeah. they don't even know. This is a wonderful conversation. Well, it,
0: it goes through all of it, right? It gives yeah, you, like, what tool. is the feeling of your employment brand internally, it goes through everything that should be involved in your recruitment practice and how well you actually do it. And be honest with yourself. The reason it sucks is not because you the recruiter, it's because of the legacy of the recruitment practice in that organization and how it's viewed. So On that note, Shelly, it's always a pleasure. We've got more energy than last week's episode. Last week's episode, our energy was a little bit down. So hopefully we're able to give a lot of information. Always a pleasure. Audience, have a great week.
1: Thank you, Serge. Talk to you soon.